Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me in my childhood crib. I'm sorry I kicked you guys out. That was a part of the bit. Uh, But we're so, I'm so happy to have you here. I got my family with me. Uh, So much I want to get through today. Um, It's so funny because this home, like this room and these walls, this is the place where I spent the better of 32 years of my life. Yes, 32 years. And I absolutely know that there's somebody out there thinking, man, he was 30 years old living with his mama. Yes, I was. And I am not ashamed, at least I tell myself that I'm not ashamed to admit that I was 30, living with my mama, love you guys. Uh, But yes, um, this was my childhood home. And and, a really funny story, I moved out uh, of this house two months before I married my beautiful bride, Jamila. And I remember that day, that final day that I was moving out. I had got the majority of the stuff into my apartment, but I was kind of here getting the final boxes. And it was funny because there was nobody in the house. I don't know where my parents were at the time, but the house was completely empty. So it was really just me. And and I remember taking that final box uh, to my car. And as I was kind of putting it in my car, all of a sudden, I was just overwhelmed with a great sense of like, I was just overwhelmed with emotions. And I don't know if you've ever felt that or experienced that, but all of a sudden, it just hit me. This is the last moment that I'm going to walk in and out of this house and literally call it my home. And, and so I just got this urge all of a sudden, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have like one final goodbye, like one last hurrah. I felt like Will Smith, uh, you know, in the final episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when he's kind of just looking around that home, the final time he's going to be there. And so I decided I'm going to take a tour through my house one last time and I'm going to reminisce before I leave. And so I walked into the house. I remember going into the bedrooms where I shared a room with my sisters. I feel so bad for you guys. I probably annoyed you guys so much. I remember walking down the hallway and pausing remember being seven eight years old with a tennis ball throwing the ball against against the front doors bouncing back I was pretending like I was a shortstop playing in the World Series I remember hearing my mom and dad yelling you know don't ruin the door you're being too loud right I went into the backyard and looked at the dirt that I used to play in as a kid I'd pull out my army men and I would make bases and forts and and I have wars and and I and I remember actually uh, the back part of our backyard we used to have this fence and there was a hole in this fence. In fact, I'm going to get in trouble. Like we all have those things that our parents don't know about when we tell the story like, you know, a hundred years later, right? So mom and dad, I'm sorry. I'm going to throw someone under the bus right now. Marvin, my childhood friend, if you're watching, bro, you're going to remember this. I would call Marvin over the house and then we would fill up my paintball gun with paintballs. And then we would call one of my neighborhood friends and be like, yeah, come over, come hang out. And he'd be so excited. Remember, we'd go by that hole in the fence and we would wait and we would see him running because he couldn't wait to get to our house. And yes, we would pelt him with paintballs. We'd hit him in the leg, in the chest. Like we were kids, we didn't care. And now that I think about it, I feel so bad, but it was so funny during that time. I, I reminisced about all of the nooks and crannies, the corners that 
I would hide my, all my hiding spaces in the house. I used to climb the side of the chimney, curl up and just kind of sit there and just all the things that went on. And again, it was just so overwhelming. And, and all of a sudden I got inspired. I was like, I'm going to go hard. I went around my neighborhood. I went for a walk. I went down a couple of blocks and you know where I ended up? I ended up at my elementary school and I went and I found my kindergarten class and I literally sat down next to my kindergarten class. And it's crazy because you know, you don't have a lot of memories about kindergarten when you're close to your 40s, but you still remember just certain pictures. And, and I thought, well, if I'm here, I might as well keep going. I got up, I walked another couple of blocks. I ended up at my junior high school. I went by the basketball courts. Like that was the place where I fell in love playing basketball. And I thought, man, I'm just going to complete this circle. I walked all the way to my high school, American high school. Shout out to anybody who went to American. I think Gigi went to American. Uh, And I remember sitting on the bleachers overlooking the football field. It's a place where I graduated and it just all hit me. Uh, um, There were moments where I was where I was full of joy. There was moments where I cried. I teared up with grief. I missed some things. I remembered some things. Um, I prayed. I praised the Lord. Um, and, and really, that kind of illustrates just a little bit of what I want to get into today as we've been reading the book, Emotionally Healthy Church by Pete Scazzaro. And actually, I just want to share something with you that I think is super important as we move forward. Our past can impact us in profound ways, and we're not even aware of it until we pause long enough to feel it, to process, and to reflect. And so today, as we talk about principle two, break the power of the past, I I just wanna share with you the framework of where I'm going today, And then I want to jump right in. And really, there's kind of three simple points that I want to make. And point number one is this. We all have a past, right? Like if you've been alive for a little bit of time, you have a past. Now, we have positive memories of our past, like those things that we hold dear, those pictures, those photographs, those experiences, those adventures that we treasure. But we also have those negative experiences that we would much rather forget, uh, that we would much rather run away from, right? We got secrets in our past. There's shame. There's sin. There's things we've done to others. And there's things that have been done to us. And so we not only all have a past, but the second part is this, is that we have to understand that that past has power. It has the power to shape and influence us in our present. And it has the power to be with us in our future. And and we, we take these negative experiences. We take these things into who we are now and we, they form an influence in who we will be. And so we all have a past. That past has power, but here is the good news. In Christ, The power of our past can be broken and we can be made new. I love what Pete Scazzaro says in his book. He says this, as emotionally healthy Christians, we have to be willing to go back into our story 
and reflect on how our past might be negatively affecting our ability, ready, to love Jesus and love people. And that's really what today is all about. Break the power of the past so that we can look more like Jesus and love more like Jesus. I invite you to come on this journey with me. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my life, for my journey, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I pray today that all of those watching would be able to say the same. We'd be able to give you praise for the good, but also give you praise for the bad and the ugly. And I pray ultimately that in Christ, we would understand that the power of the past can be broken and we can be made new. Pray that you would anoint me and I pray that your word would not come back void. That you would empower and transform those that are watching in the power of the Holy Spirit for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. And thank you again. This I'm just so excited to be in my house today with my family uh, today. You know, scripture tells us that the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are made new, right? The scripture says we are made new. The old things have passed away, right? We are a new creature in Jesus. But, but if that's true, right? If the scripture is true and we believe the scripture to be true, why do many Christians, and maybe you're listening today, you put your faith in Jesus, but why do we still find ourselves struggling with old places, old relationships, right? Old ways, right? Why, if we are new in Christ, why are we still struggling with the old? And, and I think the simple answer to that today that question is because there is a process of sanctification. When you give your life to Jesus, you are justified. You are, you are declared not guilty before the Lord, but you have to be sanctified. There's a process, a journey that you have to take in which the Lord is continually fashioning you and shaping you to look more like Jesus. And I think there's a beautiful, a powerful illustration uh, uh, regarding the children of Israel in the Exodus story and, and, and the idea of sanctification. And if you know anything about the Exodus story, the children of Israel, they were enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. They were in Egyptian slavery for 400 years. Now, once they were finally freed, right, they found themselves wandering the wilderness for 40 more years. Now, what was God doing? Like, why didn't they just go from slavery into the land that God had promised them? Why in between slavery and the promised land did they have to wander the wilderness for 40 years? Well, well let me tell you something I think that's super important, and I really want you to get this. Even though Israel had left physical slavery behind, they were still mentally bound. I want to say that again. Even though Israel had left physical slavery behind, they were still mentally bound. And I want you to listen to this. You can't just recover from 400 years of bondage overnight. So, so the wilderness wanderings became the place of sanctification. It became the place where the children of Israel were learning how to depend on God. It became the place where God revealed himself as provider, as healer, as sustainer. And so that wilderness wandering became the place where they were being sanctified. And, and what do I mean by that? Once God, listen, once God got Israel out of Egypt, he then took Israel through a process to get Egypt out of Israel. Once God got 
Israel physically out of Egypt. He then took them through a process that would take Egypt out of Israel. And again, that doesn't happen overnight. And so the question becomes, how how do we break the power of the past? How can we sanctify our past so that it's not hindering who Christ is calling us to be in our presence, right? And as we've read the book, and I really want to take a closer look, Emotionally Healthy Church suggests that one of the ways that we do that, one of the primary ways that we do that is we first identify how our family of origin has shaped us. We identify how our family has shaped us. Now, this is why we're filming at my house today. Some of you wonder, why do I got pictures of my family up here? My family's probably watching and saying, man, Phil, what are you going to say? Don't worry. Uh, uh, but why are we in my house? Well, this is why we're in my family room today. Like, look around. This is the family room. This is the space. This is the place. Y'all are literally looking at the space and the place where I spent the most time with the people who were closest to me. This is the area. This is the home where I was deeply formed in fashion. Look, we laughed in here. We cried in here. Secrets are here. Uh, 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 We argued in here. Um, This is the room. This is the home. This is the place where I learned to be a dad, for better or worse. I I learned to be a husband in this room, in this place, right? Uh, Whether it was good, bad, or ugly, right? I was shaped and molded in this space with the people that were closest to me. Now, here's what I want to do. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I want to just illustrate how powerful generational transfer is uh, in Scripture. You can go with me to Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. And this is the Lord speaking to the children of Israel once they were removed from Egyptian slavery. Listen to what the scripture says. Listen what the word of the Lord says. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or any likeness of anything that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water or under the earth. And and, and the scripture continues to say, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God. And this is so important. Here is key. I'm a jealous God and I really want to focus in. Listen, visiting the iniquity of the father's on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Here's a question. How has your family shaped you and how are you currently shaping your family? Let me say that again. How has your family shaped you And how are you currently 
shaping your family. To the degree that you understand the first part of that question is the degree that you'll be able to successfully navigate through the second part. And so here's what I want to do. I want to look at three ways my family shaped me. I want to look at three ways that our families shaped us. And and I want to look at what Pete Scazzaro kind of lays out as kind of a framework, a, a map, a geneogram of us being able to look back at our past and those negative things that have affected us. So sometimes he says, you have to look back in order to go forward. And so three ways my family shaped me and three ways I know your family shaped you. And I want to move through that together. The first way is this. Actually, I'm going to give you the three ways up front. The first way is this. Every family has its own set of rules, right? And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Number two, every family has its script, Right? What's a script? A script is, you know, an actor is given a script and these are their lines. Every family has a script, an internal message. And finally, number three, every family has their demons, right? Don't we, don't we say that? Like, oh, that's, that's my demons or the demons of my past. And what do I mean by that? I mean, every family has their traumas and their sins, their generational traumas and generational sins. And again, I'll dive deeper into that momentarily. Let's talk about every family has their own set of rules. Now, when you think about family rules, or you think about rules in, in, in just in general, right? There are spoken rules, right? What's a spoken rule? Spoken rules is maybe you have this, like take your shoes off <laughs> before you enter the house, right? And I know some families, it's spoken and it's written. I go to the front door and they make it very clear on the door, right? It's like printed out, like, please take your shoes off before you come inside. They got mats that say, please take your shoes off, right? That's a spoken rule in the household. That's a family spoken rule. But, you know, there are also unspoken rules and, and your households are full of them. I have an unspoken rule. In fact, if I could pan to the camera and show you, I would, but I can't. But literally the camera is right next to what I call the king's throne. How many of you guys have that unspoken rule in your household, right? You got that one chair, like that's dad's chair. Like nobody sits on that. Like I don't even know when that, that rule, no one talks about that rule. That rule's not pinned up on a wall anywhere. You just know that when you come home, when dad is home, you don't sit on that chair. Like that's his chair. My dad had a space where he ate. That's dad's place to eat. That is dad's chair. And it's so funny because you always know people who had similar unspoken rules because they come over to your house and they're always like, Okay, which chair is the king's chair, right? Like they, they're always like really careful on which chair they sit. And then you always knew people who didn't have the same unspoken rules that you had, right? They would come home, they just flop on any chair. You're just thinking, dude, you're sitting on my dad's chair, right? And so every family, right, we have spoken rules and we have unspoken rules. Um, but I, w- I want to take it a little bit deeper because uh, this isn't just about, right? This isn't just about chairs a- and shoes. Um, there are deeper things that we carry with us. And, and I want to actually want to share something that Schizero, Pete Schizero says in the book that I think is really powerful. These rules are hardwired into our brains and DNA. So much so that apart from intervention of God himself and biblical discipleship, we simply bring these expectations into our closest relationships as adults. And again, Obviously, he's not talking about the king's chair or shoes. He's talking about some deeper rules in the house. Let me, let me give you some examples. How did your family handle conflict? Were they loud and aggressive and argumentative? Or 
Did they avoid confrontation? Maybe you had a dad that when things got rough actually left the house and didn't come home. How did your parents define success? How, how did your household define success, right? Was it about getting into the best schools, right? It's so crazy because you could even get into a school, but it wasn't a prestigious school. And so there's this internal pressure that if I didn't get into the best school, I wasn't successful. Maybe success looked like uh, uh, looking like your auntie and your uncle. Well, they got a new car. They got a house. Or look at, you, you know, look at the other children doing this. Right? Maybe you were always compared. And so your family was constantly trying to keep up with the neighbors or keep up with a family member. You didn't want to look like the, the family that wasn't well off. Right. And, and so and so maybe it was competition with others. Maybe it was, you were always told, look, you're not successful unless you make a certain amount of money, you have a certain amount of things that are yours, and, and you're working in a good paying career. Like, maybe that was success. What about relationships? What were you taught about trust? Maybe you had an unspoken rule with your family, said so don't air out the family business, right? Keep it in here, don't tell nobody, don't trust nobody. What did you learn about relationships? Maybe you were raised by a single mama. Single mamas, I love y'all. I respect you. And maybe your single mom did a great job. She worked hard and did everything she can, everything she could to keep the family together. But maybe you were told, you don't need a man. You can do it yourself. Right? Maybe you were told to be independent. What did you learn about relationships? So, How about feelings and emotions? Like, were they demonstrated? How were they demonstrated in your house? Did, did men cry in your life? Did your dad hug you, tell you I love you, or was it cold? Um, was it an emotionally charged household, or was it distant? Was it distant? Right, and the list goes on and on, right? Uh, what did you learn about money? How about this, what did you learn about gender roles in your house? How about this, what did you learn about race and ethnicity in your home? Are there prejudice, are there, are there tendencies that you bring to the table with other races because this is how you talked about them in your home? What did you learn about sex? Right? I, I grew up in a very God-fearing home, right? But but we were suspicious of how the schools would talk about sex. So I remember, uh, you know, in sixth grade, in eighth grade, even, in, you know, sophomore year, we had sex ed and I, I would never get my paper signed. Like I couldn't go in there, right? My mom and dad were probably laughing. And, and I know that they were, they were worried about what was being said, but, but without a sexual education, and then we weren't talking about the birds and the bees, I was left to kind of try to discover this whole sex thing for myself. And again, rules, spoken rules, unspoken rules, whether you know it or not the power of the past to bring those things into your presence. These are the things that shaped us. So, so what, what's the problem? And I, I really want you to hear this. What, what's the problem? The problem is, watch, the problem is when our family's rules are contrary to Christ's words. You, you get that? The problem is when our family's rules are contrary to Christ's words and we carry those rules we carry them into our new life in Christ, uh, submitting to the unhealthy patterns of our family of origin rather than to the truth of Jesus Christ. So every family had their rules. And secondly, every family had some kind of script, right? Uh, actually, we, we, all of us carry, and it doesn't necessarily can come from your family. It can come from other places in your past, but all of us carry 
uh, uh, messages internally that are called introjections, right? The negative scripts. What, what do I mean by that? I'm not good enough. I'll never amount to anything. Here, here's another one. How about this? I'm the black sheep of the family, right? Uh, everything I do causes pain, right? I, I'm a troublemaker, right? I'm no good. I'm unworthy, right? Uh, I'm stupid and, and good for nothing. Pete Scazzaro writes in another one of his books called Emotionally Healthy Leader. And in there, he says this, even if we have these scripts out of our minds, our bodies remember them, especially if they are connected to traumatic experiences. I want to share a story with you. I my mind was actually blown a couple of years ago with some leaders at Inspire. We went through that book, Emotionally Healthy Leader. And I want to tell you something. I witnessed a grown man break down in tears because somebody told him at a vulnerable stage in his life when he was a child that he was not good enough, that he'll never amount to anything. And to see how that simple phrase has haunted him to this day and has filled him with insecurity even as adult to the point where it has paralyzed him, held him back from being the leader he could be, held him back from achieving what he could achieve because there was a script given to him in his life at a certain stage of the life told him he wasn't good enough, he was put down and all of a sudden that script plays everywhere, every interview he goes to, every leadership that he takes, it, it disqualifies him even disqualifies his ability, it, it, it gets in the way of his ability to understand the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it, it's tragic. We have unspoken, we have rules we've all learned in our homes. We've had scripts that we all carry and walk in and they disqualify us before we even enter into, it's so crazy, we can have a conversation with somebody. They may not even say something to hurt us, but yet, it triggers us because it reminds us of those old places. And so again, we have the negative scripts in our lives that we carry. And finally, number three is those demons. Those demons. What do I mean by those demons? I simply mean this. Every family has generational traumas and generational sins. And just for this breakdown right now, just for this conversation, when I refer to a trauma, a trauma is the result of somebody who has sinned against you, right? A trauma is when somebody has sinned against me. A sin is the responsibility that I take for sinning against somebody else. Now, before I kind of dig down into this, I, I want to share something to you that I think is super important. We carry inside of us, whether cultural or familial, a far deeper ingrained in us than we really realize. I want to say that again. What? What we carry inside of us, whether cultural or familial, is far deeper ingrained in us than we realize or even admit. Let me, let me explain that to you. Let me, let, let, let's talk about generational trauma for a moment. There was a study conducted by Harvard and it was a study on Holocaust survivors, watch, and multi-generational transmission of trauma. 
Listen to what they found. It's sad and it is fascinating. They found this. The same symptoms that Holocaust survivors were holding in their bodies surfaced not only in their children, but also in their grandchildren as if their children and grandchildren had experienced the Holocaust directly themselves. Watch. Because the survivors had never directly dealt with the trauma, they simply passed it on from one generation to the next. I mean, there's so many things I want to say right now. This is, this is so heavy. And, and listen, that reality, that truth, that principle that we even see in Scripture, right, it should cause us not only to be concerned for ourselves, but as Christians who, who uniquely understand the truth, it should cause us to be even more empathetic as a people to those communities like our African-American brothers and sisters and and I know this is a charged topic and I know some of you are watching right now land on so many different sides but as a woman or man of God who understands generational trauma in scripture we should at the very least be empathetic to the reality that slavery for 400 years the trauma from that is passed down and at the very least empathy is what it looks like to be like Christ, generational trauma. What generational traumas has been passed down to you? Number two, generational sins. Remember, we talked about trauma as someone sinning against us or sinning generationally against our family. Generational sins are the sins that our family has passed down. Uh, sins that we're responsible for. Patterns of sin passed down from one generation to the next. And we see this in prominent figures in the scriptures. And I'm just going to give you two quick examples, but look no further than King David, one of the most popular figures, not just in the Old Testament, but in the scriptures itself. King David was a man after God's own heart, but his family line was devastated by generational patterns of, ready? Sexual sin, adultery. I mean, think about it. David had many wives. David slept with another man's wife and then had that man killed because he impregnated her. And then he married that woman that he committed adultery with. And then we look no forward further than his oldest son, Amnon. Amnon raped his sister, Tamar. You see this sexual sin being passed on. And then we look at Solomon, right, who would ultimately succeed David in the throne. Uh, uh, Solomon was the result uh, of Bathsheba, with uh, not necessarily the result of that sin, but Solomon was a son of Bathsheba. He would ultimately become David's uh, uh, successor. And listen to what Solomon did. Solomon accumulated for himself 700 wives, 300 concubines. Uh, Solomon had a sex problem, uh, and that was going against what God had mandated. Uh, uh, and, and what we see in generational patterns from grandpa to grandchildren to grandchildren is the reality of sexual sin, the reality of adultery, the reality of perversion. And we see it not only devastate David's family, but it ultimately devastates Israel. Like, it, they will split. What about the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
right? What do we see in that? We see generational patterns of liars. We see lying. Grandpa lied. Grandson lied. Great-grandson lied. We see patterns of lies. We see sibling rivalry. We see parents playing favoritism generationally. Each generation, we see a mom and a dad favoring one child or the other. We see children lying. Right. And, and here's the crazy. We see these destructive patterns so powerfully played out to the fourth generation. Just look at Joseph's story. Joseph was arrogant. He was a hottie. He, uh, he shared that he, his brothers would bow to him, but his brothers, there was a rivalry. Joseph was the favorite child. The brothers were jealous and hated him and, and they, they planned and plotted. They sold him into slavery. They told the father that he had died. They lied. Joseph went into slavery. I mean, Joseph experienced trauma after trauma after trauma. And as we see that in the fourth Fourth generation being played out in a biblical family. That's why I love the scriptures. Just a shout out to the word of God. The word of God is not trying to hide, right? Ultimately, it points to Christ as the most perfect one. Everyone else fails. And I love that the word of God is honest and open about the men and women that we read about. Because if it's true for them, guess what? It's true. It's true for us. And Pete Scazzaro, he says this. It is impossible to break free, to break people free from their past apart from understanding the families in which they grew up. Unless we grasp the power of the past on who we are in the present, we will inevitably replicate those patterns in relationships. I want to say that again. Unless we grasp the power of the past on who we are in the present, we will inevitably replicate those patterns in relationships. I just want to recap as we land this plane home today. Listen, number one, we all have a past. We have good things, but we have generational traumas and generational sins. And that past has power. I want you to see, we bring that history into every relationship, every encounter, every dialogue, and every debate. If you've been reading the book, there's this fabulous like uh, 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 illustration of a boardroom, right? And, and it doesn't just have to be a church boardroom. It could be any room where there are a group of people, and you go into this boardroom, and you think you're just talking to the five people in the room, but what you don't realize is, is as you begin to debate, dialogue, and work through controversies, you're not just talking to the five people in the boardroom, but you're talking to the generations of things, the unspoken rules, the negative scripts, the traumas, the sins. You're not just talking to five people, but you're talking to people who have brought their baggage of the past into this conversation. No wonder why we struggle in our relationships. And no wonder why our discipleship and sanctification is breaking or break the power of the past. But the reality is for many Christians, the reason why we stay stuck in the old when we're supposed to be made new is because we don't want to take that journey back. But can I just tell you, the Holy Spirit takes you back, not to hurt you, but to heal you. And we have to be willing to trust Him to go on that journey. And so finally, we all have a past. That past has power, but the good news of Jesus Christ is this. In Christ Jesus, the power of our past can be broken. We can be free and we can be made brand new. How? How? Well, <laughs> that's great in theory, but, but what does that look like practically? 
How can I be made new? Maybe you're watching right now and you're full of drama. You're full of sin. You, you, you're, you're agreeing with what I'm saying. You're thinking about your family. Like, man, this is scary. I don't even know if I have the courage to do this. How can I do it? How can I be made new in Jesus? And I, I'm just gonna give you some, just a quick little exhortation. First, how can you be made new in Jesus? First, you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to admit I'm a sinner, I'm broken, and I can't fix, and I can't save myself. Only Jesus can. I, can't, I can do all kinds of work. I can try and positive thinking, right? I can look in the mirror today and kind of say all these things. It's not gonna break the power of the past. Only the blood of Jesus, only the work of Jesus on the cross has the ability to break. So pull your trust out of your efforts to fix yourself and save yourself and put your faith and hope in what Christ has done on the cross. What he has done on the cross. Place your hope in Jesus. Number two, second, I, I love this, and this might be a little off or awkward to some of you, but it's true. Commit yourself to a local church. <laughs> Commit yourself to a local church, right? Don't just kind of stick your toes in and you know dip in and out, but commit to a church. Like if you truly give your life to Christ, submit yourself to a local body of believers. Now you might be thinking, I've done that before, I've been hurt. I don't want to do that. That's a little too much. But let me just explain the power of that. Be a part of the family of God. I want you to see this. Listen, biologically, you're born into family by blood, right? That's my family, right? We're, we're family by blood. Biologically, you're born into a family by blood. Spiritually, listen, you're what? Born again into a new family by the blood of Jesus. That new family is the church. And this is key. I love what Pete Scazzaro says, and I want to read it to you. In that new family, in the local church, it becomes a place where we, in a very real sense, are you ready? Are reparented into the kingdom of God. I'll keep that there. In that new family, in the local church, it becomes a place where we, in a very real sense, are reparented into the kingdom of God. This is discipleship. This is sanctification. This is the process by which the Holy Spirit operates in to make us new. I want to finish with one final statement from Schizero's book. One final statement he makes about Christians that I think is so important. And I want to pray with every one of you right now. He says this. Becoming a Christian does not automatically mean that your past is erased, right? God doesn't give us amnesia, so we forget. But instead, we are expected to, ready? Die daily to those past patterns and live experiences that are influencing our lives today. Die daily to those past patterns and experiences that are influencing our lives today. Look, when you put your trust in Jesus, you were justified before God. God said, you have been forgiven. I see my son in you. But then you weren't just justified, but then you were called to be sanctified, to walk through a process, a journey of looking more like Jesus and loving more like Jesus and connecting to the local church is one of the primary ways in which we walk through this discipleship together. I know, I know. I know why some of us don't like the local church. We don't like to be called out. 
right? We like hiding. We, we, we go to the church, right? Look beneath the surface. We talked about this last week in the garage. Shout out to Pastor Roger in the garage. Uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't like to be honest and be real. There's a fear in that. But we can't be made new until we are A, aware of what's going on inside of us, and B, we give permission to the Holy Spirit through the people of God to reparent us, to change the script, to uh, rewrite the rules, to heal the trauma, and to forgive the sins. Because that's what it means to walk in the newness of life that Christ brings us. If you're watching right now, I want to invite you not only to give your life to Christ, but to be a part of a local body of believers. If you're from the area, I'd love for you to join Inspire Church. In fact, we have membership classes coming up. We have opportunities for you to get involved so that you would not just say, yes, I love Jesus, but you would learn to look like Jesus. I know today was heavy. I have my family with me. Thank you so much for coming into our home. I just wanna say a prayer for you. I wanna let you know we are here for you. If you need prayer, We're here for you if you need answers to questions. And if we don't have the answers, we point you in the right direction. Let us know. Reach out to us. We love you so much. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so, so much for your word. Thank you so much that you care for us. That you don't just pick us up and and ask us to be something we're not, but that you will Go deep into our past. You will reform us, reshape us, and make us new. And I pray for anyone watching that has traumas, triggers, generational sins, things that have been passed down, addiction, uh, uh, pornography, uh, uh, adultery, uh, traumas that have been lying, cheating, stealing, poverty. These are elements and ways that we thought about our past have been passed down to us. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus through your word and through your people, you would reparent us into the kingdom of God. I thank you that in Christ, I am born again into a new family and I am reparented, sanctified, and made new so that I can walk into my present and my future without being held down by my negative past. And I pray that this would spark something in somebody, that they would go on a journey themselves for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you guys so much. Thank you for joining us. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.